0: Welcome to Real Obsessed. I'm John
1: Turner. I'm Bill Evans.
2: And I'm Jessica Wellman. And we would like to welcome you to the jungle because today is Tiger King Day. That's right. The bulk of our conversation is going to be about what all of us have been watching the past two weeks, the Netflix limited series Tiger King. But that's not all we have going this episode. We've got our yay or nays. We, of course, have to see who wins the next round of Bo Champs battle flawed protagonist and we got more bow champs in the pipeline and i'm excited about this coming round as much as i'm excited about this week's episode but first yays or nays um i'll start and we'll split this up just because we're all watching so much right yes i know i'm watching way too much and i had to to pare it down a bit So I decided to just give you five, I have five yays to provide for you. All good ones. Um, This week, TCM decided to just basically take a day and show all of Akira Kurosawa's movies. So I am in high heaven right now because I have like seven of them on my DVR. And I think I'm just going to parse them out like once a week. And this first one that I watched, Drunken Angel, is a 1948 movie by him that's, it's a Japanese film in a very American noir kind of fashion about an alcoholic doctor taking care of a Yakuza gang member with tuberculosis. And it was just really fascinating for me to see the noir setting that I associate with the U.S. so much in this Japanese post-war setting that I found it super interesting. I'm not sure how much of that is just me being culturally incompetent versus the movie itself being good, but I enjoyed the watch nonetheless. Um, I, in the other old movie categories, also watched Sitting Pretty. If you ever watched Mr. Belvedere in the 80s, the sitcom, Belvedere was actually, before anything, it was a book. In 1947, it was a novel, and in 1948... They adapted it into the movie Sitting Pretty with Clifton Webb, who was known for his supporting roles. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Laura, for example. He plays Mr. Belvedere in this, and Maureen O'Hara and Robert Young are the parents. It's just a really charming, fun comedy of, of the suburban lifestyle and clifton webb is just so great in it and this is back when the academy awards would still recognize comedic performances a little more readily so he was nominated for best actor for this and deservedly so because he he stands on his head and does yoga he basically teaches these very small boys under the age of five in a military academy style approach and it's just a lot of fun and i very much enjoyed it I finally, finally, I've been looking forward to this for years, but I couldn't find it, watched Lady in a Cage. If you don't know about this movie, it stars Olivia de Havilland, and she's a woman who has broken her hip and is recovering. And so in her fancy house, she has installed an elevator that takes her from the second to the first floor. And as the result of a power outage, she gets stuck in this elevator in between floors Home Alone, and various sordid characters hear her screaming for help and use it as occasion to ransack her house. It's James Caan's first movie role, in addition to another great performance by de Havilland, and it is all the high camp it is cracked up to be. Everybody says this is one of the camp greats. I'm so glad I got to watch it because it really delivered on the camp front so, so well. Um, last old one. People Will Talk is a movie written and directed by one of my favorites, Joe Mankiewicz, starring Cary Grant with Hume Cronin as the villain. Uh, Cary Grant plays a doctor with unconventional methods. Hume Cronin is a more conservative doctor who keeps trying to get him in trouble. And it's this beautiful balance of a romantic comedy of Cary Grant falling in love with a woman under kind of unpredictable, strange circumstances. And it's this drama about... People being very wary of modern, newfangled kind of thinking. And it was Mankiewicz's response to the Red Scare. And it was just so, so fantastic. I've seen so many old movies, it's kind of hard for me sometimes to find gems like this very often. So I was just so happy and so surprised. Finally, I know I've talked so much, but I did watch a new one that is fresh on Netflix called Uncorked. Uh, it is a combination of Memphis, barbecue, and Somaliers. so it hit all of my areas of interest with everything I ever needed with great performances by Courtney B. Vance and Nisey Nash as the protagonist's parents, and it's written and directed by Prentice Penny, who's best known as um, a sitcom producer. He's a producer of Insecure with... Um, Issa Rae, And then he also was a producer of one of my favorite sitcoms of the 21st century, Happy Endings. And it's predictable and formulaic, but this weird blend of barbecue and wine just worked so well for me. And if you have Netflix, it's, it's a very pleasant watch worth checking out. Okay. Sorry.
1: Barbecue and wine. I,
2: as soon Every as time, I, just... In, in the opening credits, I'm like, barbecue <laughs> and wine? i'm in like whatever you <laughs> every do time, i don't care <laughs> every,
1: every time jessica does her yay or nays i'm like there's gonna be a 98 percent chance i'm gonna have no idea what she's talking about like i i don't ever recognize any of the movies you discuss i know I'm or sorry. any of
2: the people do you <laughs> carrie grant maybe
1: <laughs> carrie grant of course yeah
2: but then i say barbecue kurosawa do wine. you recognize
1: this I recognize the name. I'm not sure if I've seen oh, anything. Okay. Fair enough. Fair, fair enough. enough. Yeah. I
2: know. I went super old this week, minus the barbecue and wine. I'm sorry. But we will... Sp- fast- <laughs> Speaking of
0: wine, you're... <laughs> Speaking of wine, you're enjoying some right now, aren't you, Jessica?
2: No, I, I wrapped up. I had a Zoom call with my college roommates, oh, which means you have to have wine, obviously. <laughs>
0: of course. Um, of course. But yes. No, rap- wrapping that up, I've I've seen... Uh, I-, I saw most of Drunken Angel, and I just couldn't i don't i don't know why kurosawa just does not do it to me and do it for me and i'm really surprised that that you it just doesn't seem like one that you would be that into He so i'm I'm impressed and surprised
2: classic hollywood so much and clearly has such reverence for it that i think that's what i'm responding to is seeing classic hollywood framed through another culture
0: gotcha i've I've seen i've seen uh i mean seven samurai i loved of course i mean that's an all-time classic and uh I forget the name of it, but his his Russian movie. I think it's called Dersu Uzala or something like oh, that. Of the, uh, the idiot. It's like a. Th- of Fyodor no,
2: Dost- Dostoyevsky or no?
0: No, that's not the one. It's it's oh. like a it's like a two and a half hour, just like Russian out in the woods odyssey of of sorts. And I don't know. It was it was actually really fascinating. But the few of them, like Rashomon and and Dreams and Sanjuro, I just didn't they they didn't work for me like like uh, they have for a lot of cinephiles, so to speak. But past the Japanese guy, let's talk about some tigers.
2: I know. Let me get you into the 21st century, Bo. I transitioned <laughs> to Netflix in the 21st century <laughs> with Uncorked. But what people are really watching is the series Tiger King. When did Tiger yeah, King cares. kind of first hit your radar?
1: <laughs> Hold on. Nobody cares about the cinema no- noir. We want to get into the Jet Tiger Nizzoir? King.
2: imagine that. I'm the only <laughs> one who cares. Who would have ever predicted get- that one? <laughs> cool.
1: Everyone wants to hear about Joe Exotic.
2: Yes. Of course they do.
1: <laughs> Not My Carrie sister, Grant.
2: Maybe 10 days ago was just like, Tiger King, get on it. She was like, this is the most wild thing I've ever seen. And I thought she was indulging. She has recommended crap to me before. But I have to say, it was a good recommendation. I am all about Tiger King. In fact, I have watched all of the episodes twice in preparation for our discussion wow. today because... I just had so much that I I mean even on the first pass I didn't process everything that was happening (laughs) And that I needed to go Jessica told
1: me. Jessica there's there's a lot to process. Jessica told me about this show and says you watch an episode and it's crazy. And you're like, there's no way it can get crazier than this. And the next episode just gets crazier and just keeps going. And my brother I talked to my brother like a day later and he told me the exact same thing. I mean that's what you're into if you start to watch this series. Uh I, I let's let's hear John's thoughts on the show though. <laughs> well, I can't disagree <laughs> with most of what you've just said. It does get crazier
0: and crazier. Uh, I I don't think it I don't think it starts off nearly as crazy or unusual as as I'd kind of heard, but but anyway, it it does get out there and there there's some there's some absolutely fascinating just directions that it goes that we're going to get into when we get into some major spoiler talk. But overall, my opinion is that it's frankly a little bit of sensationalist uh exploitative garbage. Um, I, I get that I get that it's entertaining. It is entertaining, yes. I, I I was pretty bored in the first couple episodes, but then for the rest of the show I was very entertained. But it's still over five hours of just too much of, of these these eccentric characters just because they're eccentric. And yes, they just because they do some crazy things. And yeah, I mean it, it makes for a good story in that sense. I just don't think it's necessarily that great of a that well put together documentary, and I think it's too fluffy, and I think it just it, just sensationalizes everything to some degree that I just got sick of. Wow. And you know, well, we're going to get in, get into a lot more in details in that sort. Uh, we're going to as assume also spoilers. that
2: you all have watched this at this point, and this is our our cathartic group share of what we perceive. Yeah, yeah. So spoilers are right. coming.
1: Just be yes. warned. Yes. Considering like 60% of you are home with nothing to do than watch Netflix and Hulu and all the streaming services. I mean, I'm expecting by this point that anybody who's at all interested in this sort of cultural phenomenon
0: that that they've heard is just crazy, eccentric, exploitative, whatever, they're going to have watched it by now. Right. And I mean, we're going to, so we're going to delve into it. But if you haven't, my recommendation is it's not worth it, but... Obviously that is not what you're gonna hear from my uh
2: Yeah, no, two I would friends here. I would well, literally short of my aunt who's a nun and a couple of other extremely religious relatives, <laughs> there's no one I wouldn't recommend this to.
1: Yeah, that that goes without saying. <laughs> I mean, All right, so let's dive I'm into pretty it. Re- I'm pretty religious and I really enjoyed it, but I think I'm kind of a unique religious person.
0: Well yeah, I mean there's there's obviously there's obviously yeah. some uh
1: very different my aunt doesn't like language yeah.
2: so that's why I'm like yeah you <laughs> should pass on this but
1: yeah we've discussed this I don't believe there's any bad language <laughs> I, I believe there's a bad use of language that's all there is fair and the bible the Bible does say something about that so I that. so
2: John I'm fascinated right. that you feel like this like the filmmaking of this isn't where you think it needs to be to be quality what about the filmmaking piece of it did you think was so lacking
0: there, there's a lot of material to uh, cover here, so I'm not. I'm definitely not going to be uh, perfectly. I'm not going to get this thought across perfectly well. But it is. It is five hours, and first of all, first off, that is just way too long for this story. I, I don't think it. I, I think a, a, a good documentary filmmaker could have told the same story in two hours, and you know, just taken out taken out a lot of the fl- like. You have an entire episode devoted to. Devoted to Don Lewis, uh, Carol Baskin's husband, and and yeah, I get that. That's definitely a part of the story that needs to be touched on, but I don't think it needs to be. I don't think they need to dive in and have as many interviews as they have that basically say the same things over and over again. Uh, there, there's and this sort of thing happens over and over again throughout the series. Yeah, maybe two hours is is tough. You would have definitely had to take out some of the some of the uh, outrageous material that people are are definitely drawn to. But it's just, I, I just, that, that's my main thing. Length, it was totally unnecessary. A lot in the first two hours, the first two or three episodes could have been told in 20 minutes. Uh, All
1: right.
0: I mean, I, when things are this far over long to me, I mean, that, that's just a, that's just a ma- major faux pas. I don't mind if a movie is 30 minutes too long or something that, yeah, I might might detract a point, but five hours of my life for looking, for hearing about characters like this,
1: there's, I just don't, I don't like- have that let me put it this way the documentary filmmaker that put this together said he spent five years of his life on this so he basically took one year per year of his life i think that's pretty fine i don't know i can believe it I mean, but I've, that- I've
0: seen documentaries two-hour documentaries that have been spent for for years making them that that are incredible and you know and i praise and everything but you know.
2: i would watch a two-hour documentary purely on the question did carol baskin kill her husband and for many well. true crime documentaries, that question and that single case fills two hours very easily. I actually think that they, I mean, I can't imagine it being any shorter because they actually left a lot of things out. For example, did you know that John was Joe Exotic's second husband? Travis was his third because he had a first husband who who died of AIDS, and that part hit the cutting room floor because it didn't meet the standard of drama that that was set for this episodic television event. So if that can't even make it in there, I really felt like at no point was I bored, at no point did I not want to hear more. I would have watched seven hours on Doc Antle all by himself. Because if you're running a tiger sex cult, I want to know more. So for me, I actually think, if anything, the filmmakers were being really conservative in the the running time of this.
1: I've got to ask you something after you del- delved into the AIDS thing. Did, how deep of a dive did you take into this? Like, how much research have you done? I haven't
2: done a lot, <laughs> honestly, because I know that it would just, like, eat a day of my life that I would never get back. <laughs> um, I want to do I'm more. not going to lie. What, John?
0: No, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to lie. I've seen that there's so many different articles and, and different angles to look into this farther, and I just I just didn't care to. It's oh like, God. I've seen enough of these people.
2: I find these people that's, that's it. endlessly fascinating. I think, to me what this movie does on a cinematic level that impresses me the most is probably more than anything I've seen in the past 15, 20 years. It really gets to the heart of like, we have created, the internet has created this whole subculture of people who build cults of personality around themselves. And they aren't famous, but they have internet followings and how these internet followings can really just seep into your psyche and affect how you think about yourself and your decisions that you make. Because all of these people, Carol Baskin, Joe Exotic, Doc Antle less so just because he's super media savvy and understands like by not giving us stuff, you create a certain amount of intrigue about what you're doing. But those two in particular are two people who created these internet sensations around themselves and turned into these strange caricatures of the people that they were before they had this following. And just watching that develop and seeing how much that internet culture plays in to what happens over the course of this show was so fascinating to me.
0: I I definitely agree that that happens, and I totally agree with with your assessment of the culture. I I just personally these people that are make like these YouTube stars and and things like this, like I just have no interest in any of that stuff in my life. And so maybe that's why, I mean, mean, because what you're saying is totally true. It's just, I don't care for any of that. So when, when this whole thing is basically evolves into this, because this is what, this is how Joe, uh, Joe exotic becomes once his, like he starts up an internet show. He then, then they have this whole reality show that's based around that. And we have all this footage from this and, even though a lot of that footage gets destroyed, but that's a whole other story. That's actually pretty crazy. That's that's probably my favorite part of the whole show. But I mean this <laughs> the fact that this all changes him. And and yeah, that, that's that's interesting, but I I just I don't need this much of it. I, I get it. And I just don't need this many details. But anyway, I don't wanna I don't wanna hark on all the all the things I'm disliking about it. Let's talk about some of the things that are actually that are actually just like that that blew your mind. What blew your mind most about this, Bo?
1: Everything. I mean, what didn't blow my mind? <laughs> was my there was there I any mean, one particular scene at all? <laughs> no. I mean, I, I'll tell you one thing that really like kind of intrigued me. When Cho marries the two guys, was that in Oklahoma? Yes. And how did he legally get that done? Because
2: there's probably not a marriage polygamy- certificate. It was probably just a ceremony. Because okay, polygamy that is not sense. legal there.
1: Right, exactly. I don't even think it's legal anymore in Utah anymore, is it?
2: I don't know. Off the top. Of I
1: have, I I don't have think no so. idea. I'm pretty Can't sure it's illegal everywhere point. now. <laughs>
0: Can't say this is a, a strong state of research for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> me either, but I'm pretty sure I saw an article a few years ago about how they were making it illegal in Utah now. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was curious about that. Uh, I mean, all the characters are, intri- are intriguing to me. Apparently they're intriguing to you as well, John, but you just don't enjoy it. Uh I truly like, this is entertaining, like you said. I mean, that's what it is. That's what they made it for. It's entertaining. Uh, I wouldn't say wow moments. I mean, I do feel like every episode, like Jessica told me and my brother is like, that was crazy. (laughs) Like, I don't know how this is going to get crazier. And you just it just continuously tops itself. And I don't know how they do it. But
2: I mean, this is where I I think like so much of making a good documentary is just lucking into a subject that is fascinating. And this was a case where these guys originally their plan was to make a documentary about um the like lizard trafficking trade and it ended up veering into the exotic cat space and then he runs for president, he runs for governor, and then yeah. he brings um yeah. oh god, what's that guy's name in? Lewis something Lewis?
1: Oh the guy the Jeff manager Lewis, from Walmart. Jeff
2: Lewis um not the manager jeff, from Walmart yeah. the one oh, to to buy out the the,
1: Je- the park jeff, i think it's i think it's jeff low jeff, yes, jeff Lowe, thank you yes Jeff low that's right jeff yeah. lewis yeah. is yeah, jeff flipping Lowe. out yeah. on
2: bravo um, yeah. <laughs> jeff low and then there's this contract killing plot and then you realize that this contract killing plot was probably a charade and a sham and You just kind of, like, as a documentary filmmaker, you have to just be, like, holding your hands to God and being, like, praise be that this subject fell into my lap. And what I kind of, I mean, again, to to compliment the filmmaking, to be able to pivot like that and get Joe moving tigers under the cover of night and leaving the park and being in jail and going to court and all of these things that you didn't expect coming – and at no point did I say, how did they not have footage of this? Because they had footage of everything. And as a documentarian, footage is everything. So I think my wow moment is just like, how the hell is all of this on tape? How do you have like the reaction that, of a man committing suicide on video yeah. to put in your movie? Like, well, how do you have all this stuff?
1: I mean, that was from the zoo's... Uh...
2: Security, but still. Yeah, like, security yeah. There's no reenactment oh, There's no we didn't see. Right. They have everything, and it's crazy that they do from I mean, a he, filmmaking perspective. That is true. That,
0: that makes it infinitely more watchable, and I agree. I, I hate reenactments, and also I also yeah. love the fact that it does, that, you know, it's something that manages to go these different directions that weren't expected at first. Some of my favorite documentaries do that, but I, I you know, whatever. I just can't, I can't see that this is, that that makes it, like, and a great film. I do. Th- I do think it's entertaining. So whatever, it is entertaining. I'm not going to deny that. So I mean, you're we can, right. Jess. We can agree on something here.
1: They I, even, I got, d- even got. Even huh, I want to say this one thing. They got the film <laughs> of Joe like burning computers, like because he thought there was evidence on it of. Uh, we we don't know what the evidence was I for mean, so they
2: have the new husband going to a storage unit and he just like literally the filmmaker picks up a folder and is like looks like you sold 15 tigers to doc Anil." like people would if you were in a, a journalist or a documentarian you would blow your mind to have just one of these moments on tape and they got <laughs> all of them so i think that's what that's what fascinates me so much about it is just like One, the pervasiveness of video in the 21st century that everybody records everything. And when you're a self-involved person, like, apparently all exotic pet owners are very self-involved people, (laughs) that you just have piles and piles of video of yourself.
0: Yeah, we've got that. Plus, we've also got news footage. I mean, in regards to when there's a fire there, that was, which is probably my favorite part because that was just amazing when we, when the turnaround comes that, hey, it's Kind of pretty obvious that Joe ends up doing this to destroy his own stuff, even though obviously he's den- he always denies it. But but you know there there are moments like that that did have my jaw a little bit on the floor. That I'm like, wow, this is just incredible that we're seeing. But at the same time, I just don't I I, I don't want to see any more of him. And and mainly what I really don't like about this, I think, is the main thing. And I'm sorry, I keep going back to this, but it's or things I don't like. But it's the fact that we we're getting. He's getting exactly what he wants, you know. Joe Joe Exotic. Yes, he's sitting there in prison right now. Um, I'm not exactly sure the uh, all all the details of that as far as what as, as far as what his chances are of coming out at some point here. But but he is he he loves the publicity. This is it's clear that he just wanted to be a big celebrity. And yeah, maybe this changed at some point during his uh, during the course of his big cat care, his his zoo and everything. Maybe it changed that. He he started getting the taste of it, like you're talking about the YouTube stars and all these things. Like he gets a taste of the celebrity, and he just wants more and more and more. And he realizes he's a crazy character. He realizes that people are going to want to watch him, and he just it becomes a drug to him. And I just feel like this exact this entire show is exactly what he wants in that sense. Whether no matter how bad he looks, it doesn't matter to him.
2: But is it fair uh, to ask at what cost? I mean, he's in jail for a crime he probably didn't commit. For like thirty years, that yeah, he's got what he's want, but it's almost Shakespearean in what it took to get it.
0: I guess I, I'm I'm of the sense that he did commit this crime. For one, I feel like he did. Oh. I so I've got that, but but I also feel like he, you know, even if he didn't do this exactly, like he's he's he he's deserves this for other reasons too. I, I did. I and did I think read one. That literally, of them the,
2: could be in jail for one reason or another. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: I. I totally agree. <laughs> all of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I did read one thing today, and it's it's basically the only thing I've read outside the show about it. Is that somebody interviewing him uh, recently? I forget who it was. Dana Carvey or something that comes to mind. I might be totally wrong. Um, <laughs> really? I, I really, I, I really think Carvey I might be right. About that. Be interviewing him. <laughs> I, if, if, maybe for some reality <laughs> show he's doing something. I don't know. But uh, but I feel like I, whatever it was, somebody was saying that they and that Joe totally admitted to them that he was killing, that he killed animals for fun at times and that he killed tigers for fun. So obviously we've got, you know, they don't actually show any of that in the, in the documentary. There's, there's a lot of dancing around animal cruelty or, or what exactly different people are actually going to constitute as animal cruelty. But, but I do think that there's, there was a lot of evidence for different things and not just by him, but by, by basically everybody in the show that are, are showing things that, that I mean, we just—they shouldn't be getting away with, period. And right. so, even if he's in jail for the wrong reasons, maybe I'm not even—I'm not upset about that. So, what I was guess he convicted
1: now it's
2: for? Kind of... Go ahead, Bo.
1: He's convicted for—he was convicted for five or six counts of like the Killing five or six act. tigers, right? Yeah, um, right. Yeah, selling yes.
2: them—you cannot sell an endangered species for money—and that's what he was I... indicted for and convicted. Uh, also.
1: No, also killing. I believe it was killing. I believe that was the uh, conviction for killing five or six tigers.
2: Oh, I there might, it there might have been selling, some of both of that. I might need to Well, there's
1: leave. definitely
0: the selling. There, there was, was definitely both. the selling. There might have been both. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. honestly can't remember for sure. But it was both of these things were accused of. And uh, the selling 100% he was, was part of what he was convicted for.
2: I guess right. now is probably a good time to approach the animal cruelty piece of this, since that's what I think the loudest critics are, is the animal cruelty piece. I will admit I was not allowed to have pets. I've never really had pets. So watching domesticated animals like tigers and ligers and whatnot, I kind of, there's a moment where I say to myself, well, this is what we did to lead to cats and dogs. So how bad is it necessarily? Because we've been domesticating animals as long as humans have been around. But for people who are maybe more pet people than I am, perhaps you can explain this to me.
0: Well, I'm not a big pet person to begin with. Uh, <laughs> I've had a couple. I had a dog for a little while. I've had birds most of my life. But yeah, I actually tried to babysit a cat this week for a friend who's out of the country. And it was disastrous. The cat was amazing. But <laughs> I turns out I have really bad cat allergies. And I haven't oh. been around cats enough to realize this. So yeah, I'm still like dealing with this uh, five days after we managed to find a new home for him. But yeah, I mean, I, I I see I get your point as far as cats and dogs. I I think it's it's really too much of a gray area. I don't I don't have an answer. I don't think it's a right or wrong thing. I don't, I don't think people who think one way about it are are right or wrong. I I just I just think it's it's very gray. But when we actually see them, when they're act you know they have to be totally professionally taking care of these in the most humane way possible. And I will say, like, yeah, like, some
2: of the circumstances, especially towards the end when the zoo has no money, I'm right. like, "Ooh, this isn't good."
0: Yeah, and that, that comes up. That comes up, uh, especially with you know, because they're having to move the main zoo and everything. But it and and Joe basically the main issue though is that Joe, as as he became a big celebrity, stopped caring about, stopped caring that much about his cats. I right. mean. At least well, that's, not, where they, that's where they at least that's what they make it out in, in the show. You, you you don't know. Sometimes, you know, obviously documentaries aren't exact truth. There's some prejudice right. there.
1: I feel like when he lost that lawsuit for a million dollars, that's when he really started like going off the the cliff there yeah, like I mean, the, financial
2: ev- hardship does stuff to everybody.
1: True. Yeah.
2: Not to justify uh, it, but
1: So the pets thing, I mean I mean there are we have des- domesticated animals like house cats or dogs but i believe that if you have a dog like i don't think you should have a big dog if you live in an apartment unless you take it out three times a day to let it completely run around as much as it wants to i think you need to have a lot of space for whatever animals you have and i don't think any cage is big enough for a tiger (laughs) uh also another thing like when people have birds i'm like why would you ever want to cage up a bird i mean a bird flying is such a beautiful thing like Every human wishes we could fly. That
2: was my my lone pet, <laughs> and it hated me. I would take it out of the cage, and it would bite at me. It was not a good experience.
0: For what it's worth, the birds that we had were, were very well cared for, and actually did like. We actually took them outside to fields at times and had them they would fly back and oh. forth with like my dad and I way out in the field that was behind our house, like literally flying like a couple of football fields of length between us. Like I mean, it was. I mean, we you know this is not a parakeet. This is a sun conure, but. Yeah, I do agree That's like there cool. there is part of me that is that is like this bird should not be caged up this much, but at the same yeah. time we we always treat them very well and and they're out of the cage a lot. So, I don't know. I mean, it's yeah, it's just, you could think same thing
1: exactly what you're saying about dogs in and out of the house or cats, or the same right. way. There's, I mean, it's all gray areas. I mean, the art the argument I always hear for like these wild animals like tigers and lions is if we release them into the wild, they're not going to survive. And there has actually been studies that show that that is not completely true there are some that are going to die and there are some that are going to survive it's just they have instincts they are born with these instincts it's in their genes some are going to figure it out some are not i mean some are going to die but that's just nature and a lot of us have been so far removed for so long from nature that we don't realize that it can be cruel and that's just the way nature is i mean but the thing is like if what if let's say for the animals that don't die i mean for the animals that do die would it not be better, this is my argument, would it not be better for them to be free for the time that they are in the wild to live, even if they do die? Wouldn't it be a better life for them to actually live in the wild the way they're supposed to, even if they do die? I don't you you know. could really talk about the coronavirus and human beings right now in
0: that same sense. Like-
2: <laughs> I mean, I don't know just because right. if, if this tiger has only ever known domesticated experience, it does seem, from what it seems like, they have some sort of bond with humans that is capable, like... If that experience is something that they find enjoyable, and they're not like drowning in rainwater or surrounded by their own excrement, like how bad is it?
1: Obviously, becomes a case that <laughs> yeah.
0: Obviously, it becomes a case that we can't we can't ever know. And I mean, it is when when we treat them differently from when they're first born. We're raised, you know, when they're I mean, they're literally taking them from their mother when they're born. And that, that's actually one of the cruelest parts that I saw that I that I that actually made me, you know made me made me breathe pretty deep when it when it first was first aired. It was like, wow, like this is like this what's this mother thinking? I've just there they're, they're go my I just gave birth to these cubs. There they go. And I, I don't know exactly what time they get reintroduced to her, but but they're you know, they're they're raised by human hands and that's what they come to know. So
1: I don't know. I'll tell it was, you that, I'll... it's too great. I'll tell you one of the most powerful parts of this whole documentary series to me. Uh, Do you remember the part where it was like towards the end after he had been, I believe, put in prison and he talks about the two primate, two primates. I I don't remember what, 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 I don't remember what kind of monkeys they were, but uh, he basically
2: chimpanzees.
1: They're the chimpanzees. Okay. Well, they, he had them separated in cages in one enclosure, but they were separated. They couldn't touch each other. They had no contact. And then it was like that for 15 years. And then I guess when they put him away, uh, they got moved and they were able, finally able to have like physical contact. And the first thing they did was hugged. Yeah. And, and like Absolutely. he, th- I, I remember Joe Exotic, like expressed remorse for yeah. that. And uh, I, I think he said something like, uh, did I cause their isolation? Did I, you know, cause Deprive them, them of to be isolated? Yeah. For so long. Yes. And he goes, yes. Did I mean to? No. And his excuse was, uh, I was focused on having a zoo or something. I mean, this is a loose quote, but uh, I thought that was pretty powerful. I think, yeah, it was you definitely know, a powerful moment.
2: This kind of takes me to, even though it's not a very good example of what is called direct cinema, which is um, a way of approaching documentary where you just try to kind of put the camera in the experience and capture it, But the whole question of direct cinema is what happens to the situation when the camera shows up? And there's an acknowledgement that the mere presence of the camera is going to change things. And I think Joe Exotic's life is just that big question. What did the presence of the camera do to this person? Because we see at the end this footage of him very young saying they belong in Asia and Africa and we're just doing this because we need to. And it's so out of sorts with what we've seen that that, to me, was the moment where I was like, these filmmakers really do know what they're doing in terms of showing that the camera kind of ruined this man.
1: I really enjoyed that part of the documentary as well. And back to the point I was making where they say the argument is if we release these animals into the wild, they won't survive. I truly believe that they make that argument because these animals are making them so much money. So they have to have some kind of argument, and that's the best one.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. I, I agree. And I mean,
1: it, it, obviously, it's all about
0: money. I mean, yeah. well, it shouldn't be. Obviously, it should be about wanting to love the animals and care for them. But yeah. that's when it we're talking about wild about animals like this. It's all about money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and and when and when you're talking about just you know the different the different the cameras affecting you, I mean, it's in this film. It's not just that, but it's we have Rick Kirkman's camera because he, you know. This is from even I don't know the exact timeline of it, but it's from before this documentary was began. Of course, um, he was filming Joe for the uh, reality television show, and he basically funded his funded Joe's internet show. So, and and you know, as a trade off, but it's it's a whole it's levels on levels of this. And I mean, there's so many cameras around Joe. I mean, for I don't know exactly how long now, maybe ten years or so from when that started. I don't know, but but. It just obviously it affects him on an extreme
1: level and just yeah. gets obsessed with it. But- yeah. And and Rick Rick says that's supposed to be his retirement. I mean, that's what he was planning on. Like he was planning what? on selling that. That was going to be his retirement. And that's the fire you're talking about, John. That's what happened. <laughs> he didn't yeah. back up anything. So may this documentary be a reminder to all of you. If you have anything that you're you know counting on for your retirement, maybe back it up.
2: Second hard drive. I <laughs> will
1: say that the footage the footage they got in
0: regards to in regards to that case and basically clearly proving that it was Joe that set the fire I mean not 100% proving it but pretty clear the The footage they got in regards to that was, was pretty fascinating um, just in, in whether it was text messages or meetings like with recorded cameras or whatever uh, or just audio but it was I mean that that exact area you know that's what I was talking about that was my wow moment of the film or miniseries right. TV show whatever you want to call this thing
2: <laughs> whatever it is <laughs> Some of us loved it. Some of us hated it. Uh, the tragedy, I think it's fair to call it the tragedy of Joe Exotic, certainly has the entire nation's attention. But perhaps now is the time to draw attention to things that aren't getting the exposure of a Joe Exotic, which means I think it's time for more yays and nays, right? Bo, what do you have for us? Yeah, hey, well,
1: Oh, are well, we ready to move on? Man, I want more Joe Exotic.
2: Oh, do we have to? <laughs> yeah. Is there more you need There to will be off more Joe chest? Exotic. Because we've got one more episode coming. We can come back to it. There next is time.
1: one more episode. Yeah, let's come back to it. Fine. I'll do my yeas or nays. Uh, Jessica reminded me last week that I actually left off a uh, film that I was supposed to do last week or my yay or nays. It's The Boys from Brazil. I'm giving this one a yay. Yay! Uh, <laughs> it's directed by Franklin J. Schaffner. Uh stars Gregory Peck, Peck. He plays Dr. Mangala. The real uh, Dr. Dr. Mangala. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this film, Dr. Mangala has created 94 Hitler clones, and he's placed them around the world. Uh, and his plot is to rekindle the Third Reich. Uh, Gregory Peck is amazing in this. Um, I didn't mention the other actors. I didn't write down their names. Lawrence
2: uh, Olivier is the Nazi hunter of course. in this movie.
1: Okay. And uh, there was a guy at the beginning, the younger guy that's actually in South America. I, I recognized him. I'd seen him in a lot of movies, but I didn't look up his name either.
2: Steve Gutenberg.
1: <clears throat> but, okay. I'm not very good with actors' names. But seriously, yay for this one. I have a lot to get through today, so I'm going to go very quickly. Uh, I did watch a series on Netflix. If you're not watching this series, you really should be, especially if you like Breaking Bad. Uh, Ozark Season 3 on Netflix, Big Yay. This stars Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Uh, it's a series about a financial advisor that gets swooped up into having to launder money for the uh, Mexican drug tar- cartel. This was seriously the strongest season, in my opinion. I really think you should be watching this. Uh, <clears throat> I think... Jess, I don't think you said you were watching this. I said I think you said that like Breaking Bad gives you anxiety, so... Maybe not if you suffer from anxiety, but if you don't, seriously, I would highly suggest Ozark. Uh, The next film, I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
2: Ooh, I'm intrigued.
1: Really? A a classic. It's a classic. I do believe it's an overrated 70s film, though. (laughs) Okay. Because I looked at this. There was not a lot of great films from 1970 to 75. There really wasn't. So I feel like people were honestly... Very... I'm
2: with you that the 70s are, are largely a bust.
1: <clears throat> yeah. I feel like people were very desperate for something to really like. And this was like, uh, the, I guess this will work. I mean, we got, you know, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson in it. We'll go with that. Uh, directed by Milos Foreman, it stars Jack Nicholson and Louis Fletcher. Uh, it also has Danny DeVito in it and Christopher Lloyd and. Uh, I didn't even recognize Danny DeVito in this until like it was over with. And I saw the cast and the, uh, the credits and I was like, Danny DeVito <laughs> I had to go back and like look at pictures. And I'm like, Oh my God, that was Danny DeVito. Uh, it's a film about a man played by Jack Nicholson, whom is sent to a state mental institution because he refuses to do the labor work forced upon him at the prison farm. Uh, he's sent to because of statutory rape. He's hoping just to write out his, re- the remainder of his sentence in this loony bin, but things do not go according to plan. Uh, I I gave this film a six, so a slight yay. I do feel like this film is overrated. I really do. Uh, I also watched... (laughs) I knew you were going to have that reaction. I watched The Illusionist. uh, Not the 2006 film starring Edward Norton. It's an animated uh, film in 2010. It was actually by Sony. Uh, It's a film about a traveling magician that meets a young girl in Scotland and she lives with him until um something changes. I don't really want to ruin the plot here. Uh there's not much said in this. It's kind of it's almost like a silent film and when things are said, which is very rarely, they're usually said in French or some other language. Yeah,
0: um, well, this is a French film. This is a French yeah, film. Of course. I, right.
1: I, I, maybe Sony bought it bought the rights for US domestication uh,
0: distribution right. or something. I'm not really sure, but Yeah, it is I mostly mean, a silent film, you are right.
1: I mean this is not this is a slight A for me. Uh, this is not your typical animation. This is definitely not for kids. I mean, there's there's nothing that's going to upset kids or anything or upset parents for showing it to their kids. It's just I don't think kids are going to enjoy this one. It's more for adults. Yeah. Uh, but I, as far as animation goes, there's many other things that I would refer over this, prefer over this. Uh, I watched Snowpiercer.
2: Have you not seen it I before? Truly, I had not. Oh,
1: so this is of course directed by Bong Joon-ho which famously directed Parasite uh, definitely giving a yay to this one stars Chris Evans, John Hurt and Tilda Swenson just to name a few this is a sci-fi movie that takes place in 2031 after, after an experiment to cool the world down to combat global warming and kills off every human on earth except for the lucky few that boarded the Snowpiercer a train that travels around the globe via a perpetual motion engine uh, <clears throat> I'll say this I was getting worried in like the first act of this film because I did not see a plant anywhere on the train. And I kept saying to myself, I was like, I better see some trees. <laughs> I, I, I needed Even it to Debeau satisfy Bo my to
2: question the biology <laughs> of a movie. Uh,
1: yes. I needed it to satisfy my detailed oriented anxiety. I really did. Like it was really bothering me. Like the entire first act is like, Why have I not seen anything green? How are these people breathing? Because the world is completely frozen. So I was like, they're not getting it from the outside air. Uh, so when I did see the trees, I was like, "Oh, thank God, <laughs> I can breathe now." I was gonna, I was seriously gonna <laughs> like deduct that. major points for that plot hole. I was seriously going to, but this is a yay for me. I have one more of my yay or nays. Uh, I watched Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. I honestly can't give this film a yay or nay because I gave it a five. <laughs> and and Absolutely. I looked at. I, uh, yeah, pretty much. I looked at the reviews also on like Letterbots. They are so diverse. It's like so spread out. It's ridiculous. Uh, this was directed by J.J. Abrams. It stars Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, and Oscar Isaac. Uh, it's of course it's the Resistance versus the First Order, a Jedi versus the Dark Side. It's Star Wars. That's the plot. That's always the theme. Uh, I, this just felt like the weakest film in the most recent series since Disney bought the rights. Uh, I waited so long because when it came out in theaters, like I saw it just get destroyed by like everyone that watched it. And I'm like, I'll just wait for it to come out. And Even after it came out, I was like, I'll, I'll still wait. So I, I haven't watched it until like a year later. So. Yeah, I have no interest whatsoever in seeing that one. And I don't
0: know where you're yeah. talking about mixed reviews. Ever Like I look at the people I follow and it's like five out of 200 gave it a
1: positive if, review. If, oh, I saw if you look reviews. at Letterboxd.
2: Definitely mixed reviews. Oh, yeah. If you
1: look at. If you look at Letterbox, it's like all over the map. It's like every everything from 1 to 10. I mean, it's basically all even.
2: Last Jedi yeah, was no, the same that. way, just all over the map. Loves and hates.
1: All right. Uh, I do have one more movie I'm not going to talk about right now. I'm going to bring it up in Bochamps. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about something, one of the Champs movies or something totally different? But you're just, it, it relates too much to one of those. I, I'm bringing up one that could have been a Bochamps movie this this week.
2: Oh well. Okay. With that in Fair mind, enough. we yeah. should just do Bo champs for this week, right now. Mm-hmm. Bo. That's us do it. Even
0: though, I, even though there's so much I want to say about your '70s comment, I, I can't. I, <laughs> I, 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 it's so hard because this is like the late '60s and the and the early '70s are when are when movie making. I mean, not it was a little earlier in Europe and France and everything, but where movie making in in the in America just all of a sudden took off became just became so much because of because of the new I guess it was the end of the code era. And it was the collapse of, of studio the studio
2: system. That's what yeah,
0: happened. Yeah, the collapse there. There's so, so much more independent filmmaking. I mean, it just became... It, this is where everything took off to be what it is in modern filmmaking today. And Look it, it's at the releases. so incredible.
1: Look at the releases from 1970 to 75, and there are not a lot of winners, I'm telling I you. I will
2: guarantee you, in all the decades of film that I have watched, far and away, my poorest reviewed is the 70s. It's not close.
0: Well, yeah. It, it it'll take me thirty seconds to get to my list of the amazing films from that those five years, but I guarantee you I could rattle off fifteen <laughs> or twenty once I get that up. But go ahead, let's start with Bo champs instead.
1: All right, Maybe I'll I come asked, back to that. I asked Justin John for a film in which the protagonist has major character flaws. Jessica provided adaptation, and John provided Inside Luanne Davis. And I have to say that Jessica's one again. I know. <laughs> Moving up. She's up 3-1 now.
2: I had a good feeling Scores, about this three to one, one because you are yeah. a writer, and I feel like as a writer, adaptation right. is one that just speaks to you so much about the insecurities that come into play <laughs> when you're trying to create something.
1: I agree. I, I really enjoy. I, I enjoyed uh, Nicolas Cage's performance in this. I thought it was very comical. I really enjoyed hearing his inner dialogue, just his thoughts. I... I uh, so let's talk about let's talk about an adaptation first. Uh, directed by Spike Jones, stars Nicolas Cage, Chris Cooper, and Meryl Streep. It's about a screenwriter played by Nicolas Cage that decides to get outside of his comfort zone to write a movie script based on a book written by Meryl Streep's character about a horticulturist horticulturist played by Chris Cooper. Uh, I, thought, I also thought Chris Cooper's oh uh, he he won an Oscar yeah.
2: for this very deservedly oh, okay. so.
1: Right. Yeah, his performance was great in this as well. John, do you have anything you'd like to say about the film that beat you? <laughs> I, I think Adaptation is, is a very good movie. I I was yeah. hoping you would love it.
0: I was just hoping that you would see the, the mastery in Inside and Davis and love it even more. But obviously that didn't happen. Um, Yeah, like I, I, I think the first time I saw Adaptation, I was like, I was admittedly a little bit confused by the, some of the plot points and probably didn't follow it close enough. This was back when I was probably 20 or so when it first came out. But... I mean, this time around, it really wasn't anywhere near as confusing as I had remembered, and mm. also, but I also didn't think there was as much to it as I remembered. I didn't, I didn't think the humor was that great. I thought Nick, I thought Nicholas Cage was very good. Don't get me wrong; I still like this movie. I, I'm giving it a seven, um, but I did drop my rating down, I think, from an eight before. But I, I do think I, I felt like Cooper and Streep were, are good, but they're maybe not as good as it's all cracked up to be. The script isn't as wasn't as smart as I thought it was the first time I saw it, maybe because I uh, overrated when I didn't understand it all. But, I mean, it is it is strong. The The meta elements are are very fascinating. I really love how he puts himself, you know, how Charlie Kaufman, the writer, is the main character. And you see him... You even go back to days on the set of Being John Malkovich, which obviously they had to recreate for this. Uh, I thought that and, was pretty cool. And I thought that was pretty cool. I wish I wish there had been more of that. I thought there was little angles that they opened up that I wish he'd gone further with and he didn't quite do like like they do in Malkovich. Um but you know, it just doesn't it doesn't rank up there as that high for a Spike Jones, Charlie Kaufman type of film as some of the others I've seen, like
1: Malkovich and Hurt, which I absolutely love. So
2: Bo, what did you rate this?
1: Just one? I rate it exactly what John has dropped it to. I rated it a seven.
2: This is one of oh. my ten out of ten movies. Um But that is also, like, for um, the second half of college, I was a freelance script reader. So I worked for various production companies reading scripts, and I was somewhat involved in Hollywood. Then I became an assistant and was even more involved in Hollywood. So I think that's why this somewhat insular story about what Hollywood does to beautiful books and texts and ideas And how a movie can become this heartfelt, start as this heartfelt thing about what it was like to live in a house with domestic abuse. And the end result is, and this is a true story, my stepmother is an alien. And to just see what the studio process can do to things is so spot on. And the ideas about it and the whole like Robert McKee screenwriting element and that 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 our protagonist literally has a doppelganger in his bumbling brother Donald, who does everything that you're not supposed to do, and immediately finds success. (laughs) And that he can't help but be like, "Do I have to do that? Is that what I need to do? Do I need to lean into this? Is this what I'm?" And that's why I chose him as a flawed protagonist because he has so little self worth that really drives all of the decisions that he makes in this movie. Um, one last fun note about this: It received numerous Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture. But my favorite is that it got an adapted screenplay nomination for its adaptation of *The Orchid <laughs> Thief* by Susan Orlean, which is just oh, hilarious great. and amazing and delightful.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love the how it how it goes different directions from that. Obviously, I mean, this is and this is plays into exactly what Charlie Kaufman experienced trying to adapt the book, and and that you know, that aspect plus Nicholas Cage's double performance. I think it's you know, even though he barely looks any different at all, he it's so easy to tell apart the characters, you know, there's never any confusion over that because because mm. of the way Cage portrays them, I think he's astounding in the film. Right. Yeah. Um and, and so all that stuff I did love. I, I absolutely think that I mean without some of the other material that I don't think works as well, I this would be a nine or something for me. I mean it's it's incredible when it's when it's really on. I just, I'm not in love with the whole movie, but right. it's still, it's still huh. very good. I'd still recommend it to anybody. And I think yeah. it's still must-see, especially if you're interested in screenwriting, that kind of thing. Because right. as, as with all of Charlie Kaufman's films, the script is,
1: is where it's at. I mean, I gave it a seven, but I, I could have given this an an eight. So, I mean, it's like a seven and a half for me. It's very good. So what, what, uh, what's, what's with Lewin Davis? What, how, how is this not, how is this what not did you rate Lewin Davis? You only lost by an integer John by one point okay, okay. Six. That's, six. Not, that's not too bad at least that's not yeah. <laughs> I'm just so glad you didn't like give it a three or four or something okay no no, no I gave it a six uh, directed by the Cohen Brothers stars Isaac Oscar Isaac. It's a film based in the 1960s and it's about a folk singer that's trying to make it as a solo act uh, I mean I, I felt like Oscar Isaac's performance was is great um, I, I mean I enjoyed the movie. I didn't <laughs> love it, but I enjoyed it. I feel like you I don't mean
0: have the, much the music. To say. How how about the music for one, which in, in from in my money, from my money is like literally the best music use of a music in no. a movie
1: ever. I like I agree. I, I can't I, I imagine didn't. anything better. John, I did like the movie the music.
2: Do you know is Please, Mr. Kennedy supposed to be um a placeholder for Please, Mr. Custer?
0: I have never heard of Please, Mr. Custer. I just love every second of Please, Mr. Kennedy, and I don't... So Please, Mr.
2: Custer was an actual joke song of the era. It's super racist if you listen to it nowadays. My mom loved, like, goofy songs like this, so she had collections of them. And it's just, like, a Mm -hmm. soldier begging Mr. Custer to not go to battle in what becomes Custer's last stand. He's like, "Please, Mr. Hmm. Custer, Makes I don't want to go. Yeah. Don't make me go." And so that's what <laughs> I I was watching going is this in is this intentionally a riff on Please Mr. Custer? And I feel like it has to be.
0: Surely. Yeah, surely it is. I mean, the Coens are so in tune with so many different aspects of culture and whether it's, you know, things from the 60s or whatever and which a lot of their films are set in that era. Uh or I mean, anything. I mean, they it's the writing is phenomenal in this film. The like the small performances such as f murray abram i mean he's incredible obviously carrie mulligan's really good i like her i mean obviously she's not likable really most of the characters aren't really likable but she's but she but her performance is grand and and the comedy the interaction between her and oscar isaac just their mannerisms when they speak i think those are all played out beautifully the, the script is wonderful obviously the music is my number one thing i I could listen to the soundtrack over and over again so i, I don't know if are you into that sort of music at all Bo?
1: No, I really enjoyed the music. Here's the thing, John. Like we talk about cinematography, you talk about this a lot. Oh yeah.
2: I can't give a movie a ten is, because of the music, John.
1: <laughs> exactly. Not the music, not the cinematography, not the strong performances. It's about all of it together, and all of it yeah. together was enough to get a, a six from me. I mean, I, I, well, I love,
0: I love all yeah. of it together in this movie. Every aspect of it. The, the so only I. time that I don't think it's a, a basically a perfect movie is when they is is on his when he's gone on the road trip. There's about a fifteen minute. This is about a. Ten or fifteen minute kind of lull after after the performance uh, that he gives to F. Murray Abram. After right after that, it kind of, it starts to drag a little bit. And I mean, I, I don't know exactly. Obviously, the Coens are going for things in regards to uh, the Odyssey, and I mean, uh, this whole film is kind of a loose adaptation of that. Although I'm I'm not an they expert on again? any of that stuff, so I don't really want to get. Uh, yeah, you didn't realize that was this even. Even the the uh, cat is named uh, Ulysses.
2: Uh, yeah but i I just figured with oh brother, where art thou they wouldn't adapt the odyssey again
0: i mean it's I don't <laughs> think it's as blatant as it is in oh brother where art thou but but there's there's little hints at it throughout I mean from the name of 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 uh f Murray Abrams office, I forget it's the uh some sort of gate i I don't know, but but there there's just there's allusions to it throughout. I promise you, you google this it'll be it's everywhere uh but i've I've never been in. I I probably read the cliff notes to the Odyssey and uh in in school, so it was never my thing. Um, but I was I say, adore this movie.
2: I I like a lot about this movie. This is the only movie I've ever seen where I have not left saying, Holy crap, Justin Timberlake is a terrible actor. Um, I actually don't mind him and I, and almost kind of like him in this movie, but for me. This He was in like
1: two scenes. yeah I know, he's, he's very, that's, that's why. probably why she likes him. listen.
2: He's kind <laughs> yeah. of a garbage actor. Um the
1: <laughs> and both Saints he's singing, so he's doing what he normally does anyway. exactly Phew. Um, He's incredible on in the social network.
2: No, he's not. He's awful.
1: Oh he's
2: so God. bad. Um, he's oh doing like God. you can tell he's like reading a line, not acting. That's my issue with him is you can tell that he's trying really hard to act anyways. um. As soon as he leaves the energy of the Greenwich village, village Folk scene to go on the road is when all of the energy just got sucked out of this movie for me. And if, it's so strange because he's in a car with John Goodman, who I think is one of like, the all-time current great performers, and a personal favorite of mine, Garrett Headland, the actor. And I'm just like, I just don't care. Just go home and to me that whole section is just so lifeless compared to the part in new york that that's why i give it a 7 because that chunk just doesn't work for me
1: you know
0: I, honestly the first time i saw it i gave it a 7 also and they, that entire chunk did not work for me either i've i've now rewatched it this is this was i think my fourth viewing fourth or fifth and it's i mean i don't i don't rewatch a lot of movies but as you know but this is this one i just think is en- endlessly rewatchable and every time i see it that entire section bothers me less and less, but I still think after the performance, it does go downhill for like 10 minutes or so there. But anyway, I just, I'm just so impressed by the script every single time. And obviously Oscar Isaac was a uh, musical performer back in, I think he went to some sort of music school back in the day. He formed a band. He was a singer and, yeah. and uh guitarist. I did, or whatever.
1: I did realize like as soon as the movie started that he was actually playing and singing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's, so. it's
0: it's very impressive stuff.
1: But all right, let me tell let me talk, let me talk get... about one one yeah, more. Yeah, what's I, oh, this
2: movie that you held back on? Yeah,
1: yes, I I decided to watch Taxi Driver because John all, almost chose it. Okay, I, it's been it's been on my watch list for so long. I was like, I just that's want to go ahead and watch it. <laughs> I'm guessing you hated this too. <laughs> I gave it a five, yeah, and this also than
2: I did. It's terrible.
1: It's it's so oh, overrated yes. in my opinion. Sorry. It's just, it's uh, directed by Martin Scorsese. Star Robert De Niro. De Niro plays a Vietnam veteran. Takes a job as taxi driver. No, Everybody's seen this movie.
0: Everybody loves this movie. Maybe. You, you don't need to explain this. <laughs> I think you two are the only people in, in in the world that I've ever heard of that don't love this movie. I know
2: lots of people but. who don't like it. Um, the script by Paul Schrader is just super like grody, masculine in a non happy sort of way. It's weird. It hates women. It's creepy. I don't like it.
0: It's a quintessential '70s film that just,
2: which is, is why Bo shows and why I this was the best the era of film ever.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> also, it came out in. Did it come out in '7? I thought it was '68 for some reason, but no, that may no, not I be. Right. I think it's
0: '75 no. off the top oh, okay. of my head, but it could I, be I, off by a year or two. I try to sure forget
2: this one. Ugh, so it's '76. '76. The only thing I remember this movie for is that the guy who shot Kenny Kennedy claimed he did it after seeing Jodie Foster in this movie
0: right what say that no you're Explain not kennedy him. you're talking about reagan you're, talk- oh, yeah, reagan. you're talking about
2: Sorry, reagan. reagan reagan i i was conflating lewin davis and please which Kennedy. Can- hinkley the man who <laughs> shot reagan did so on b be- because he was trying to win the affection of jodie foster after becoming obsessed with her watching yeah. taxi driver a bunch of times
1: i had no uh, news to me didn't know yes. that the reason That's
2: reagan got shot yeah. i mean I would never say it's because of Taxi Driver, but some people are like, Taxi Driver is this horrible movie because it led to the president being shot.
1: Well, that's not why I thought it was a terrible movie. but
2: Yeah, me too. I had plenty of other reasons to think it was terrible. Um, <laughs> with that in mind, yeah, though. I, I'm pretty much... Oh, go ahead, Sean.
0: No, I'm just going to say, I, I don't I don't know at this point, hearing, hearing some of these thoughts on and Davis and and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Taxi Driver, I, I don't know how to recommend you movies anymore, Bo. I might be done with that. Right, I, I mean, not we not keep not, not trying. Champs anymore.
1: Let's do another I felt round. Like, I felt like... Hold on. I felt like I was doing you a favor here, actually, because I felt like you might be saving this huh. in your back pocket. And I was like, let me, you know, tell him that I didn't like it. <laughs> well, <laughs> so honestly, honestly,
0: honestly the, <laughs> the 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 pure truth is I haven't seen Taxi Driver in about 20 years. I, I believe I saw it twice back when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18, but I haven't seen it in ages, so part of part of wanting to pick it out for you is a i think it's a quintessential film everybody has to see it and b i want to rewatch it i want an excuse to you know i can never seem to get myself to do it so anyway that's that's often why i pick a lot of these for you it's cuz <laughs> is selfishly i want to rewatch them as well and i want to force myself to cuz i have so many other things to see i don't usually
1: want to get around to rewatches all right for the next bow champs i want you both to give me a movie that's based on a true story
2: now i have mentioned this to you before because you had watched Ordinary People, and I think Robert Redford is an underrated director. 1994 is one of those years where people are like, it's a seminal year in cinema, and so many amazing amazing things come out. I think there's an... I can make an argument, and very few people would agree with me, but I can make an argument that Quiz Show is the best movie of 1994. Um, I think it's amazing. It's about the actual true story of the NBC Queez show scandals that ended up under federal investigation, and it is a a really great period piece featuring John Turturro, Rob Morrow, my boy Christopher McDonald, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, uh, and Ray Fiennes. So, it's great.
1: Okay. John?
0: Well, I have... Well, first of all, I'm going to lose next week, so... Let's get that out of the way, because <laughs> quiz show is the perfect pick, just like she did with Twelve Angry Men, for for going with a true story that Bo hasn't seen, phenomenal film, uh, and I think I think I think Bo's it's going to be right up his alley. I think he's going to love it, and I can't wait to watch it again too. I've only seen it one time a long time ago. It's long been on my rewatch list. So excellent pick. Wish I thought of it before you did. Um, that said, I'm going to go with a very different story that will hopefully lead to some. Some comforting tears with Bruna. I think Bruna. I think your, <laughs> I think your wife may like this movie more than you do. But at the same time, I still think it's a great one that you that you're hopefully going to love. Uh, Temple Grandin. It is a relatively little scene, especially compared to some some of these others we're talking about or quiz show. It's a relatively little scene. Uh, HBO film from 2010. Uh, stars Claire Danes, um, Catherine O'Hara, who you know from Home Alone and some and plenty of other like. Christopher Guest comedies and stuff like that. But I think she's a it's a very different performance here. But you know, it's it's just a it's a true story about an autistic girl who I, I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember that she's she's uh, you know, she she has an obsession with, with horses and she she absolutely loves them and just some things that she does and accomplishes within this field are incredible and it's just a very, very, very moving story. It's one of the best uh it's it's very well acted by Claire Danes and especially and it's one of the best hbo films that i've ever seen so i'm okay. glad to bring one that you're not that familiar with i think you weren't yep. that familiar with quiz show either though right
1: no i was not i thought that i had never heard of uh your film as well but on like looking at it uh, i read like i googled it and i was like oh i actually have seen like a scene or two of that one so
2: okay. won well, all d- the awards for this so there were pieces of it floating okay. around
0: Oh yes, yes. Well, we do have one uh, extra special review to get to at some point here before well, you've we close do out your this yays show. Or nays and I haven't too. done, and I haven't done my yays okay. or nays. So we're gonna, I'm gonna go with that and then lead right into it. And uh, all right, so like Jess, I saw a ton this week. I mean, I'm doing it every week. Uh, I didn't, I didn't see quite as much because of Tiger King because I did take way too much of my time. But uh, anyway, let's get that out of the way first. I watched Black Sunday, an Italian horror film from 1960. I've had it on my watch list for years. It's got a well-orchestrated opening scene, but frankly, after that, it just bored me to tears. Um, I fell asleep midway through on the first attempt, despite it being the middle of the day, and finished another day. I'm going to give this one a four and just move on from that one. Uh, I re-watched some uh, Wes Anderson films. I re-watched Moonrise Kingdom which is far from my favorite Wes Anderson. I know we briefly discussed this one on the show recently, as Bo saw it. Um, Like all his films, it's got wonderful production design, exquisite compositions, and an engaging script that make it really rewatchable. I gave it a seven when I first saw it in the theater, and this watch did nothing to change that. So it's definitely not one of my favorites of his, but I still think it's definitely worth seeing. And I was inspired to rewatch the fantastic Mr. Fox right after it. And I enjoyed this one much more the second time around, bumping it from seven to an eight. It's a... it's Anderson's first foray into stop-motion animation, which he also did with Isle of Dogs in the last year or two. And it's just plain fast-paced fun uh, from beginning to end. Great voice performances, George Clooney in the lead. And I, I'd recommend this to virtually anybody. It's it's not really for kids, but probably by the time they're 12 or 13, they'd start to be into it. And But it, it's wonderful animation. I also got around to two Mel Gibson sort of B-movies this week, randomly. Uh, first off, Dragged Against... Dragged Across Concrete is a Vince Vaughn collaboration with him from director S. Craig Zahler. He, he made a Bone Tomahawk and Brawl in Cell Block 99. Have you heard of any of these or seen any of these? I've seen Bone, tom- bone uh, Tomahawk. N- yeah, me too. You've seen both of these? Bone Tomahawk. Uh, bone Tomahawk, I've seen that. Oh, Bone Tomahawk. I got you. Have you seen yeah. Dragged Across Concrete? No. Nope. Okay. Well, I I personally think this, was, this is a lot better than the other work. I haven't seen Brawl, brawl but... Uh, it's, you know, it's known, he's known for stirring up controversy with some conservative leanings. Obviously, Hollywood's very, very liberal overall, but he does it with intelligence and plenty of style in this film. He incorporates, incorporates lots of long takes, uh, and a rather languid pace. You wouldn't expect a film that's a B movie to be two and a half hours, but frankly, once you get into its rhythm, it really moves. Uh, Gibson proves he still has some real acting chops. I think this is his best performance in decades. And although I wouldn't call the film great or a must-see, I'd give it a solid recommendation uh, for anyone interested in heist films or gritty material. I'm going to go with a 7 out of 10. And it's it's actually on HBO, and they've made everything free on their app right now, uh, with the virus going on. So you can see it there even without a subscription. Uh, I also watched Bloodfather, a, a different a recent Mel Gibson revenge B-movie in the background one day while working. I should note, I, I rarely try to watch films this way. I usually don't log them on Letterboxd if I see it, like my girlfriend was watching it. But in this case, you know, I was able to give it a fair amount of attention and Gibson was more dynamic on screen than I expected here, too. And he, he suckered me in. And it's, it's definitely not as strong as material as Dragged Across concrete, concrete, but it's a solid enough B movie. Gave it a 6 out of 10, kind of a middle ground. It's not really a yay or nay. It's a maybe. I mean, maybe we need, we need a new category for that. Yay, nay, or a maybe. Yay, nay, no, <laughs> or On that <five>. note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, six for me, five for Bo. <laughs> that's what he goes with. Uh, On that note, I'd call the platform a maybe also. It's a Spanish sci-fi film that opened to relatively strong reviews at festivals late last year, and it just came to Netflix. It's certainly a good conversation piece. I kind of wish we decided to review it on the show. Uh, It features striking memorable visuals on a modest budget with some strong performances and a solid central metaphor regarding kind of the dangers of capitalism. But it's also quite obvious and repetitive in getting its point across. So, you know, there's there's aspects I, I loved, but at the same time, not Can't get that high of a recommendation in the end. But for a much better new film that actually premiered at Sundance to rave reviews this year and had just started its limited rollout in theaters when they all got shut down, we have Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, it's a surprise video-on-demand release that it's currently at $19.99 to rent, so it's, it's a little pricey, but it's it's well worth your time. I, f- I feel we should have given this one a full review, and happily, Bo managed to see it today. I did. So... Let's give it a little extra time. Quick thoughts on it, Bo, before I introduce this one.
1: I thought the performances—I don't have the actress's name. What was the lead actress in this one? Uh, Sydney Flanagan, I believe. I felt Sydney Sydney like her perform—I felt like her performance was great, and I feel like honestly it was one of the only great performances in this. Um, I think I gave this—I gave this a six. Uh, I mean, there's nothing groundbreaking here. I know it got a lot of hype, but... Well, yeah. it just, it's, it's a Sundance picture through and through.
0: Uh, so if you aren't willing to give the time to a film like featuring stretches with little to no dialogue and very little
1: action, then you're never going to love this film. I don't mind and, it. I mean, I, I gave it a six. I, mean, I It got better yeah, ratings yeah, yeah. than Taxi Driver. <laughs> so, and well, Taxi yeah, Driver I mean, has this a lot is, more action is, than
0: this. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I can't compare anything to your rating of Taxi Driver. That just does it. That gives us nothing. <laughs> um but okay so this is this is writer director eliza hitman she's she uh, made it felt like love and beach rats in the last five or six years um i don't i think both of those were a little i mean they were kind of indie hits they were pretty popular with critics but at the same time i think that they're they they meandered a little and they just i mean they had she had good ideas but the execution she just faltered in that but but this film i think that it's like never really. Sometimes, always. It's just like it's for, fully formed with a purpose. Expresses itself tremendously on a micro budget. Um, both sides of the abortion issue are treated with respect, but it's pretty clear where the film's ideology falls in the end. Uh, you know, Sydney Flanagan, like you said, amazing performance. I think that it's. She started out. It was felt a little awkward. Like okay, this is clearly a first time actress. But mm. after you, after you settle into that a little bit. You, you really you really start to fall for her and and also her cousin like basically the two of them uh they travel to new York to try to get this abortion behind basically behind right. her parents' back because she's seventeen and like the way that, that their interaction is great i i, I kind of disagree with you on what you're talking about as far as some of the actors but i do think i i think the main three actors are are perfectly fine with the material and especially sydney but after that i i do agree that some of the smaller roles are really underwritten and kind of feel phoned in. So that, that's where it really feels like too much of a small-budget Sundance film, only in those I, scenes.
1: I, I do agree with you. I mean, the the script is very concise. It's It has a very linear uh, way about it. I mean, it goes... It knows what it's doing. I mean, it, it, it's about an abortion, and that's what it goes for. I mean, that's what the entire movie is about. So and it's good for that reason. But, I mean, there's honestly nothing... Well, it's it's not that, good because it's about abortion or whatever. It's
0: good because of, no. of the way that it's because of the way that the that the yeah. story is actually told in such a yeah, realistic, exactly.
1: that's, that's such a realistic I'm
0: manner. Saying. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but like I'm not it's, like it's, yay, it's, yay, abortion. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> but I would hope nobody is. But but it's <laughs> but it's like documentary style. Like their their time in New York is is just extremely realistic, and the the dialogue. Yes, it's relatively minimal, but it also it feels so much. Again, I'm going to say realistic. Feels much more realistic yeah. than than I nor- you normally see from 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old characters or actresses. I and totally so, agree with that. So, I I really appreciated that. Um and I have to say that that when the camera is locked in on Sydney in the centerpiece scene, the the scene that it gets its title from. I don't want to go into exact spoilers, but when it's locked on her, I mean, it's just it's shockingly emotional. You couldn't ask for better performance in those moments. And I just I just think that that, that just like that made the movie. I mean, I, w- right. I was with it to that point, but that scene just like, wow, like just floored me. Um, I, do, I do, you know, I didn't love the rest of it, but I, again, I thought it was fine throughout and just gets to a few am- amazing emotional peaks. And it's just a wonderfully told little story. Uh, I would probably put it right up there with First Cow. It's a strong eight out of 10 for me and put it right there with First Cow as, as the best films I've seen this year so far. Uh, don't know if it'll make my top 10 list at the end of the year. I don't know how the film industry will be at the end of the year. Who knows at this point? <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, I think this is definitely one to, to seek out for anybody minded to, to watch independent films at all. Okay. So I guess we will probably close this up. Do we have any other topics to cover here?
2: I think we I are all so. set. Uh, because we're things are up in the air, y'all. We don't really know what's next. So... I wish we could tell you what we were watching next time, but we don't really know yet. Besides that we are watching, of course, Quiz Show and Temple Grandin. If we do decide on something to watch, we'll tweet about it. And you should follow us at Real Obsessed Pod on Twitter so you can see what we've added. Or you can email us at realobsessedpodcast at gmail and ask us to watch something or you could leave a real fl- friendly review of the five-star variety. And then, you know what? You can pick what the champs category is. You can pick <laughs> what movies we watch. Whatever you want, we will give it to you. That's right. I'm resorting to bribery. So keep that in mind. Shoot us an email. And hey, you may be in charge of the next episode of Real Obsessed. <laughs>